Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll continue our look at the life of Abraham and see how God ratified his promise to him with a covenant signifying his commitment. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, More Precious Than Gold That Perishes. When we believe God, He can work His righteousness in us so that we can have the promises. Our own nature is too permeated with sin, and we cannot meet the high standard of God. So God uses faith in His Word and the ultimate faith in the living word Jesus to account us, to reckon us as righteous. So God reiterated his word, his promises to Abraham. Next, God reveals his covenant to Abram, Genesis 15, 8 through 21. Abram has asked, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What's the promise? How am I going to know? You, you said I'm going to inherit it, but What's the sign? What's the surety? Because I'm still living in a tent and I don't own anything. So God directs Abraham to get a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Abraham is to cut the heifer in half, cut the goat in half, cut the ram in half, and then put a turtle dove on one side and a pigeon on the other side. So what they would do is they would cut these sacrifices in half and put one on each side, creating an aisle, kind of like this. You could think of half a heifer here and half a heifer there. Here a half, there a half, everywhere a half, half. <laughs> creating this aisle. And then the idea with, with a covenant, you know, they didn't do paper covenants in those days. They didn't use parchment because that could be destroyed. This was an eternal covenant, so they would do rituals. So what would happen is they would cut these animals, and then the parties would stand at each end, and they would walk and meet in the middle. And the idea was this. Whoever breaks this covenant is going to end up like one of these animals, you're going to end up just torn asunder. You're almost saying, may God do to me and more if I don't. Did you ever do that? You know, I swear, I swear, stick a needle in my eye, which is a really terrible thing to say. But you know how you did that? That was this covenant. If I don't come through, then may, I, may my fate be the same as one of these animals. Abram follows the Lord's instructions, then he waits. 
and nothing seems to happen. He's waiting, he's waiting. These vultures try to come down on the sacrifice and he shoes them away. And then as the sun is going down and Abram has been waiting, he falls into a deep sleep. And it's during this deep sleep that God begins to reveal to Abram what he is going to do in the future. His descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. This is where they will develop into a nation. They will be afflicted for 400 years, and then they will come out with great promises. As Abram wakes up, having this full revelation of what God is going to do, he expects God to call him and say, meet me, meet me in the aisle between the sacrifices. And he wakes up, he's kind of groggy, but he sees a smoking oven and a torch passing through. You see, God is saying, no, Abram, this is not for you. This promise is 100% dependent on me. This is how you will know, because I, God, will do it. This is what Paul is talking, uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says, God God promised it by an oath, by his own name. He says, this is 100% dependent on me. And if I don't come through with my promises, then I will cease to be God. I'll be destroyed. I will cease to be God. Abram never passes through the sacrifices How will Abraham know? Because God himself will do it all. Then in chapter 16, we have the ruin of carnal plans. The ruin of carnal plans. When I used to teach Sunday school, sometimes I would notice the kids getting kind of antsy, like kids do. And I'd say, all right, everyone stop, stand up. Time to get the wiggles out. And I would just have them like, wiggle, who can do the best wiggles? And, you know, they would wiggle. I know, I don't think it's out of you. More wiggles. So they would do it. Oh, no, you're not wiggling enough. Let's just get all the wiggles out. And then there'd always be that child that would throw himself on the ground and, you know, knock the other kids over. But I knew that they had to get the wiggles out. And as the time was delayed, Abram needed to get the wiggles out. He and Sarah were getting antsy about God's promises. Sarah is getting older. She's passing quickly through her 70s. Conception and childbearing are looking more and more impossible. And at this point, Sarah concludes that God's covenant plans have nothing to do with her, that they're with Abram alone. Now remember, it's Abram who received the word of God. It's Abram who God appeared to. Sarah's been in the background. In fact, Abram even gave her to the king of Egypt, like, hey, have her, I'm in the covenant. Do what you want with Sarah. And God protected Sarah and brought her out and told Pharaoh, don't you touch her. This man's a prophet. So she comes up with a plan. She's trying to insert herself into God's covenant, not realizing that she's part of it. She's trying to insert herself. 
She tells Abraham, take my handmaiden, Hagar, who we acquired in Egypt, impregnate her, and I will raise the child as my own. It's a surrogate pregnancy. And everything seems to be all right with this. It sounds good on paper. It sounds feasible. They're actually helping God out. Here we are, God. This is your plan to give us children, an heir. We don't have one. So here's a way you can do it. Isn't that great? Here's the plan, Lord. At seven o'clock on Thursday night, you know, we're going to do this and you just bless it and make it great. About seven years ago, Jasmine accompanied me to Miami, Florida for a Spanish book conference. And there was a reason she accompanied me. Mi español es muy pobre. Hers is muy bueno. And so she was my interpreter. She's so hilarious because we're sitting there and these, these people are speaking in Spanish and I want to know what's going on. I can, I can uh, grasp about every 10th word. And she says to me, she goes, do you want me to interpret this? I'm like, kind of. She's like, well, if I do, I'll miss what they're saying. But it's so bad. This person is such a heretic. They're so off. Now I really want to know what's going on, right? Then another lady gets up. She goes, this one's so good. This is like, this is so, oh boy. I'll tell you later. So good. So I'm like, Jasmine, what'd they say? I can't remember exactly, man. Which one was that again? I'm like, Jasmine. But this one lady, she got up and she spoke English. And she'd written a book and she'd been on Shark Tank. She was absolutely gorgeous, but I think she had a surgeon's help. And she got up and she wrote a book on how to be rich. And it was like 10 ways to be rich. And you just follow her plan, you'd be rich. And this is what she said. Because this is how God wants to save the world. He wants to make each of us rich. And when we become rich, everybody will be like, I want to be rich, so I'll accept Jesus so I can be rich. And we're thinking, um, mm-mm. Something wrong with that. But you see, that's what our plans are like, isn't it? You know, we don't, we're not caring about sincerity or you know, covenant choices. We're just thinking objective. We'll get this done. We'll make it happen. Sarah's plan, as you know, led to disaster. As soon as Hagar conceived, she began to despise Sarah. Hagar did not want to give her baby over to Sarah. Think about it. She's at little handmaiden. This is the only baby she'll ever have. It's the only descendant. It's the only relative. The only thing that's really hers that she can count on. She doesn't want to give up the son in her womb. Sarah feels despised. You know, we women, we pick up on it, right? Your husband's like, wasn't that a great time? No, the wife hated me. She did not hate you. Oh, yes, she did. Honey, she said, like, hello, I know, but Brian, she said, hello. There's a difference, Brian. I didn't hear that. Of course you didn't hear it, because you were on your cell phone. I heard it. And then she gave me the up and down. Do you know that up and down, like? Like, I didn't see that. Of course you didn't see that, because you were on your phone. That's what happens, Brian. When you have a phone, you miss life. 
but we know. We women, we pick up on the vibes, don't we? We walk in, we, we pick up on the vibes. Men are like, great time. No, it wasn't. You know, yes, what do you mean it wasn't? They only served us potato chips. You know, I wanted a meal, but they were good potato chips. Yes, but, you know, we pick up on the, the vibes. We pick up on the thing that is invisible. You know, men see the visible, and even that sometimes they miss. Don't tell Brian I said that. We see the invisible. We see the spirit, the intention behind the visible. Sarah feels despised and therefore threatened. Her position is threatened as Abram's wife. She might be his wife, but she's not the mother of the heir. And she blames Abram for going along with her plan. Ever do that? You shouldn't have listened to me. I remember one time, I don't know why Brian was driving. I said, turn right. And he did. And he's like, why? I said, I don't know. I don't even know why I said it. Just came over me. But why did you do it? He goes, I don't know. (laughs) Sarah then treats Hagar harshly. This is what we do with a threat. We try to minimize the threat. And that's what Sarah did. She treated Hagar as less than human. Hagar runs away and God finds Hagar, speaks to her, gives her promise. Now think about it. Here is this Egyptian girl, pregnant, who nobody cares about. She's just been exploited by the people of God. That's kind of sad, isn't it? And she's run away and God finds her. And he not only says, I'll be with you. I'll be that husband. I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who hears. But you're going to keep your baby. And you're going to name your baby Ishmael. God gives her a name for this child. Tells her about the nature of the child. It's it's a promise. Why didn't God intrude and stop this carnal plan? Do you ever think? Like, God, why did you let me do it? Why, why does God let us do it? I believe it's because he has to get the wiggles out. God's way isn't always to keep us from failing. But sometimes God lets us fail so we can get it right. Because we tend to learn best from our mistakes. It's when we get it wrong that we learn to get it right. My son, Braden, when he was a little boy, actually, Braden's getting married a week from tomorrow. My youngest, my last one. So hopefully after this, Brian and I will be able to save money again. But Brian, Braden's getting married. But I remember when he was a little boy and he would get in trouble. And he'd always look at Brian and I and say, yep, I'm not going to do that again. Like, you know, no need to go further with this punishment. It's not going to happen again. I've learned my lesson. And God is working out of us through failure. The things that keep us from putting our full dependency on him and in him. He lets us see what our carnal plans do and where they lead and the mistake of it. Finally, the resting of authority in Genesis 17. 
Now think about this, for 13 years, even though there were disastrous results to this plan, Abram thinks that Ishmael is the heir that God wanted. 13 years. For 13 years, Ishmael has been told, you're the heir. For 13 years, Ishmael has been living as the only son of Abram, the prince, so to speak. Abram is now 99 years old. And God breaks the silence. For 13 years, God's been silent. So Abram just thought, this is the plan. It didn't go so easy, but now we're on the right trajectory. Everything's going to be all right. When God breaks his silence and speaks to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, God is not saying that Abram on his own has the capacity to be blameless. We already know that his dealings with Hagar are not blameless. What is God saying then? God is saying that as Abram walks before God in the presence of God, God will make Abram blameless. It's, it's the reiterating of God's reckoning of faith as righteousness to Abram. So God then reiterates again his promise to Abram. God says, I will establish the covenant. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram will be a father to many nations. And at this point in verse five, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. The change in sound is almost imperceptible. Abram to Abraham. It's so slight One means father or exalted father, and the other means father of a multitude. So what is the significance? Well, to name something is to claim authority over it. That's why it was so important when God said to Hagar, you will name your son Ishmael. Means you will be the mother of your son. That's what he was promising in Genesis 2.19, perhaps you remember that God brought all the animals to Adam and said, name them. And whatever name Adam gave to the animals, that was the animal's name. What God was doing was he was establishing Adam's authority over all the animals. When Jesus met Simon, He immediately said, you are Simon, but from now on, you will be Peter. Jesus was then establishing his authority over Peter. As we continue on our study, we'll learn that Jacob will have a name change and Jacob will become Israel as God establishes his authority over Abram. Peter, Jacob's lives. So this is God resting authority from Abraham and putting his own authority on Abraham's life. God continued to develop and clarify his promise to Abraham. He said in verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. He tells Abraham that nations and kings would come from him. 
and that God will establish not only his covenant with Abraham, but to the success of descendants as an everlasting covenant, verse seven, to be their God. Then God will give Abraham and his descendants the land that Abraham is a stranger in. Side note here, he's giving it to Abraham. He says, one day you'll own this. Now, God speaks of this day, and I thought, wow. The Bible tells us, Jesus actually said, that many would come from the east and the west in the kingdom to come, and they would sit down and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's you. That's me. When's this going to happen? In the millennium. In the millennium. All the promises to Israel that have yet to be realized, They will all take place in the millennium. That's when we'll see a world still tainted by sin. What would have happened if they had only received Jesus? All those promises coming through and we'll see God's absolute greatness in the millennium. I fully expect to see Abraham and sit down and have a cup of tea with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What an expectation. I was sitting years ago, I was on an airplane and I sat next to this rabbinic student. His book was like huge. And that's what happened. I said, that is a mighty big book you've got there. And he said, it's a rabbinic study on Abraham. I said, oh, are you studying to be a rabbi? He said, yes. I said, well, I love Abraham. So we started talking about Abraham. He said, I've never met a Gentile. I said, how'd you know I was a Gentile? He said, I've never met a Gentile that knew more about Abraham than I do. And I said, well, you know why I know so much? I said, well, are you okay if I talk about Jesus? And he said, sure. I said, thank you so much. I said, Jesus, who's actually your Messiah, but I stole him. He said that many will come from the East and the West and they will sit down and eat, which is a covenant practice with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said, I'm coming from the West and I fully expect someday to sit down and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God will give Abraham and his descendants the land he was a stranger in. God gives Abraham and his descendants the sign of circumcision. Now, this is sign, males only here, thank God. But every descendant of Abraham will bear the distinguishing mark of God's covenant with Abraham. This will be a reminder to every male that they are in a covenant of God. It will remind them of the very first promise to Abraham and what God was saying. And it's obviously a hidden promise, a promise that only those men know about. But here God is exercising authority over the most personal part of Abraham, down to the successive generations of men. But it's to men. But God, God then includes Sarah in the covenant. God brings Sarah fully into this covenant. Now again, the name change is very slight. Instead of an I on the end of her name, it will be an H. Sarah and Sarai both mean princess or royalty. The change is outwardly minor. 
but it has to do with an inward work of God. God placing his full authority over Sarah's life and bringing her into the covenant. Just as Abraham was brought into the covenant and he has this sign, so Sarah is brought into the covenant as well. And God says, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Waiting took its toll on Sarai, and even though Abram may have been willing to wait for God to fulfill his promise of a child, Sarai was not. Her unbelief caused her to take things into her own hands. However, God still works through our mistakes, and here we see his divine mercy and provision towards Hagar. As Hagar sought to run away from her mistress, she ran into God and received her own promise, purpose, and plan from the one who saw her. God sees our distress and affliction, and He always meets us with His promises. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's confirmation to Abram as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.